You're listening to Hometown, a podcast by Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Migration Ministry of the Episcopal Church. Here on Hometown, we seek to build a community of welcome by sharing interviews, stories, and actions that you can take to advocate for our newest neighbors. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We can't wait to share this conversation with you. But first, we have a special opportunity to share some audio with you that is a collection of experiences and stories from the Neighbor to Neighbor journey, brought to you by the Episcopal Office of Communication. Jesus himself has this deep identification with those who are forced to flee their homes because of violence in search of a safe place, a place to call home. Neighbor to Neighbor, a program of Episcopal Migration Ministries, seeks to welcome our newest neighbors through a model known as community sponsorship. Here today from two congregations who are engaged in this important work. The number of refugees in the world and displaced people in the world is the highest it's ever been now. And there's no reason to think that it's going to shrink anytime soon. I have come to a country I have never been to, and it's very hard. It's really incumbent on every faith community in the United States to get involved. It all started a couple years ago when there was all kinds of things going on that were anti-immigrant. It was visceral. One of our churches, the Church of Our Savior, multi-ethnic church, and there was a sign outside the church, and this sign was desecrated because somebody spray-painted on there, Trump Nation, whites only. One thing led to another, and we set up a discernment process, and this was the founding of the sanctuary ministry. We are a largish congregation in the Washington suburbs. When the need to address uh, the Afghan crisis came up, we had already done some work with refugee families. A line that uh, we often say around here that comes from the book of Isaiah is that this is a, a house of prayer for all people. And we take that quite seriously. We keep our arms open wide for all who come looking for a bit of peace, looking for the presence of God, and looking for a place to call home. Neighbor to Neighbor came along from Episcopal Migration Ministries, and it's really exciting because what we've done is we've created a very active team of people. We are helping a family now, we will help other families. It really showed me an opportunity to put faith into action. And we went through eight weeks of training with Episcopal Migration Ministries. And the guidance has been paramount to the work. It's so foundational, and I don't think any of us would have been prepared to support a family without it. You are quintessentially making connections with other human beings, and you're dealing with the most important issues in life, getting children in school, learning a language, getting a job, how to survive in a, in a new culture, a new and different culture. I am very happy and excited that I was chosen by the program, and it's really useful for me and especially the people who run this program are very kind. In the family that we have, 
There's four daughters. They're all very active and doing things. One wants to be an architect. They are resilient. They inspire me personally. In the first place, it has benefited me a lot, both me and my daughters. I have had excellent help economically and also with food baskets, but above all, spiritually. We settled a Congolese family of 10. Here's a family whose village was destroyed. Their family members were massacred. They escaped to the jungle before they made their way to a refugee camp in Uganda, where they then stayed for four years. Then they were dropped in Bethesda, Maryland. I mean, can you imagine what a life-changing experience that was for them? And it was such a gift to be able to work with them and help them to adapt. We have two families here in my church. They're very committed to thriving in the United States, to learning English, to understanding our culture and our values, and to make a better life for themselves. And in doing so, they're going to contribute inevitably to our country. It is truly the opportunity to show that welcoming, show loving your neighbor in action, and showing respect for all people. That's so fundamental to Christianity. Their visits really have filled my heart. I feel as though Sister Dora is a part of my family. It's an eminently doable ministry. We've had the benefit of having a great mentor in EMM. You will have support from people who are experienced that you can pick up the phone and call and say, oh my gosh, how can I tackle this? And even on the financial side, we found that people have open hearts, not just in our church, but we reach out beyond our church, and people are incredibly generous. So people shouldn't be daunted. We are put on this earth to serve others, and I'm a big believer that if you can find something that you're passionate about, something that breaks your heart, and marry that with uh, things that you do well, it really gives purpose. Feeding, clothing, welcoming another. In doing so, we, we meet Christ himself. That's the, the great gift and the promise of a ministry like that. I think I am powerfully drawn to this ministry of welcoming the stranger because it's quintessentially representative of all the best of our faith values, everything that Jesus Christ asked us to do. I thank God and also the Neighbor to Neighbor team for all the support that they have given me. May God continue to open pathways, may God continue to open doors, so that more hearts can continue to be filled. We invite you to join us in this important work of community sponsorship by welcoming a family to your community of faith, donating and keeping us in your prayers. We invite you to join us in the work of building communities of kinship such that God might recognize them. Hi, I'm Stephanie Whitehouse, the program assistant for EMM's Neighbor to Neighbor program. Today, I am joined by Reverend Chris McNabb, the program officer for recruitment and engagement of Neighbor to Neighbor. In this episode, we'll be exploring the experience, evolution, and expansion of this program since its inception around August of last year in 2021, as well as some continued challenges around funding and the call to respond to issues of forced displacement as a result of environmental changes and gender identity. So thank you so much for joining me, Reverend Chris McNabb. It's a pleasure to speak to you again many months later um, after our first episode of talking about 
neighbor to neighbor. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. So last time we spoke, like I mentioned, um, that podcast was recorded in February of 2021. So we had a vision and a team for this program that has shifted and grown and evolved. Can you speak about the evolution of the mission and the team, as well as the focus in our different teams across the U.S.? Absolutely. Well, thanks again for the opportunity to be here and share a little bit about the ways in which Neighbor to Neighbor has grown and, and shifted. Um, one of the fascinating things about working in um, migration and migratory policy is, is just how quickly all of this shifts. And, and the work of Neighbor to Neighbor is certainly no exception. So in February, we were looking at the two-track system where we worked with asylum seekers as well as newly arriving Afghans uh, as, a, as a part of the Operation Allies Welcome Program instituted by the U.S. State Department. And uh, we have had much success welcoming Afghans, uh, wonderful congregations, Episcopal congregations, but also um, Christian uh, congregations of different denominations have stepped forward, and we've been working with them and supporting them in the, in the work of, of welcoming Afghans. We realized uh, a few months in that this was way too much work for one person. And so um, thanks to, to Allison Duvall and, and Kendall Martin and the team at EMM, we were able to bring on some, some more staff. Um, and so we have, now I work uh, as the program officer for recruitment and engagement. We have a program officer who oversees all of our training as well as team support. So as congregations face inevitable questions and challenges in the work of welcome, he's there to help them. And then finally, we have a, a third staff person who's doing all of our data management. So trying to keep track of all of these teams, um, all of the necessary paperwork involved in, in this work. Um, and he's done a wonderful job uh, keeping track of all of that data. Uh, his name is also Chris, so it makes it a little confusing in the office, but we are finding a way forward. Finding um, away with Christopher Way. <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. Um, I should also mention that the um, the program, the sponsor circle program for Afghans, which we housed in our Track Two model, um, is sunsetting. So the um, U.S. State Department has said that that program will come to a close at the end of this government's this uh, current fiscal year. So the fiscal year for the U.S. government ends on September thirtieth. Um, and so that's about when our involvement with the Sponsor Circle program for Afghans will wind down. We have a few teams who are still waiting to be matched, um, and, and we're hopeful that that will still happen uh, in this fiscal year. And then Neighbor to Neighbor is turning our attention back to the original roots of this work, which is to, wor to work with and accompany asylum seekers um, who receive no government support, no government benefits, um, while they are seeking asylum and, and really are quite vulnerable in this country. And so we believe as Christians, as Episcopalians, that it's super important that we stand with them in this time. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to see us uh, turn our attention and our efforts back towards that, the original mission of the, of the program. Absolutely. And over the past, the past months, we've been really thankful to do so much wonderful work with the teams all across the nation. Can you talk about how many, how many teams we have um, and maybe where they are in the stages, as well as how many teams ended up being sponsor circles. Totally. So we have uh, 13 teams that are currently matched with, um, uh, that are currently doing the work of sponsorship. We have one in vetting who is uh, pending um, approval, and then three applications uh, that are in, and we're just sort of in the process of, of looking over those applications, and we'll hopefully get them um, 
been vetted and, and approved soon. Um, so we have 17 teams in total. Um, 15 of those are sponsor circle program for Afghans, and two of those are um, are track one working with asylum seekers. Wow, that is exciting. And I'm only hoping that we have more folks applying to be more in the asylum seeker kind of track now as the tracks dissolve so we can get more streamlined on the mission. Absolutely. And, and that's really part of, you know, part of why I'm excited about us bringing on more staff is that I'm now freed up to do the work of recruitment and to really have more in-depth conversations with uh, congregations who are doing this work. Uh, we're in conversation, right, early preliminary conversation with two different congregations that are pretty close to, to applying to work with, with asylum seekers. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, to see where they, you know, to hopefully get a yes from them and, and to continue uh, getting more and more congregations on board. Absolutely. So throughout the whole process, discernment and training um, and matching and then um, resolution, um, can you speak to any of the any of the challenges or um, some of the things you've learned through this process over the past couple months? Yeah, so it's a great question. And um, to be honest, I'm trying to think of the how to uh, to describe the challenges without taking up the entire podcast talking about it. Um, so cer <laughs> certainly, um, you know, I, I think we need to be completely honest that, that the previous presidential administration under Donald Trump um, really decimated the reality of refugee resettlement uh, in the United States. So prior to, to Donald Trump taking office, EMM had 31 affiliate offices nationwide. Um, we now have 11. So we lost 20 affiliate offices that are, that are doing this work. Um, and within refugee resettlement, we recognize that it's completely possible that, that a different president could come in um, and could be anti-refugee. Um, we certainly saw the ways in which President Barack Obama, um, who sort of uh, earned the, the nickname, I think appropriately so, is deporter in chief. Um, and so this certainly is not a Republican or a Democrat thing. Um, there are ways in which both Democrats and Republicans have been um, in opposition to either immigration or refugee resettlement. Um, ironically, you know, um, President Ronald Reagan is one of, has been one of the strongest uh, presidents on refugee resettlement and immigration. And so, you know, within private resettlement, or excuse me, within refugee resettlement in general, we recognize that there's a need to get creative. Um, and to start looking at alternative models to welcome people into the nation. And so I would say the primary, the number one challenge is we are basically in a, a time of recreating um, refugee resettlement and, and migratory, you know, welcoming of migrants into our country um, in a way that we haven't seen since really the creation of, of refugee resettlement. So we, there's a huge shift in the, in the, the entire work um, nationwide. So that's, you know, the biggest challenge. I would say as a result of that, it's very complicated. This is a very complicated world to navigate. And so trying to explain to congregations this, the complexity of this work um, has been another challenge. And then finally, you know, our, I would say our biggest challenge currently that we're facing is funding. Um, a lot of times, you know, funding tends to follow whatever is on CNN or Fox News or the local news outlets. And so if we are not, if the news isn't covering issues for, in our case, asylum seekers, then we're not getting funds mm -hmm. in for asylum seekers. We're not getting congregations that are calling and saying, hey, we, we want to do something. 
And so for us, the real the real challenge is how do we get a yes? How do we how do we you know sort of develop that interest in in good hearted Episcopalians if they're not getting it on their news feed every single day? Um, and so I would say those are some of the biggest challenges we're facing. I could probably go on for a little more, um, but I <laughs> I I want to focus on some of the positives as well. Um, but yeah, I would say those are probably the three biggest challenges we're facing right now. Absolutely, and really speaking of funding, it's been partnerships have been critical in the work that we've been able to do. So I, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to UTO, the United Think Offering, for um, really being a, a critical player and helping us do the work that we do. Is there anything you want to speak to about that with regards to the funding and the support that we've received from them? Absolutely. So one of the things I've been so impressed by is, and and I think is remarkable, is sort of the the ways in which different denominations are working together to make this happen. So um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been super helpful with us, um, you know, and, and super generous. Certainly UTO and the work of um, the Reverend Heather Melton, she's been just a phenomenal ally for us in this work, and we're super grateful to her and for her continued support. Um, and there also are just other Christian denominations that are saying, hey, we don't have a lot of money, but we want to, we want to, we want you to know that we're in your corner, right? We're working with you, we're supporting you, um, all that kind of stuff. And and I would say, you know, right now we're we are looking at at a pretty significant need for funding. And so if you're out there and and you're listening to this podcast, um, whether it's you know ten dollars or twenty five thousand dollars, we would love to hear from you and and to um, to have your support because we really do believe um, in the importance of this work. I'll also um, add that, you know, I think we also are looking to to Episcopal, the Episcopal Church in general to really step up and, and to support this work in in more meaningful ways. I, I think this is where the gospel is calling us. Um, and so I'm hoping that the Episcopal Church answers that call and says, yeah, we believe in this mission. We believe in the work of welcome. Um, and, and we want to do we want to do more of that. We want to support that. Absolutely. And anyone who is listening and really does want to contribute to this critical work um, could donate at um, iam.ec forward slash emm. So just going to leave that there <laughs> in the Thank hopes you. that Thank we you. can really expand, expand this work because we've spent so much, so much time and effort and um, we've built amazing partnerships in order to create a team that's able to support all of these parishes across um, across the nation and community groups. It's not even, doesn't even have to be a parish. We've seen just so much ecumenical, ecumenical effort come, come together, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Absolutely. So as many folks in the Episcopal church know, we just had our 80th general convention. I'm curious to know if EMM had any major wins. Absolutely. So, um, I think this is a good time to give a shout out to, uh, Canon Chuck Robertson, who is the Canon to the presiding bishop for ministry beyond the Episcopal church. He has been a fierce advocate for EMM. Um, and I think he, you know, in, in recognizing the need for church engagement and um, bringing Allison Duvall on board, as well as Kendall Martin, we've really seen the, the uh, knowledge about EMM grow within the Episcopal church. And so that was um, really noteworthy. And, and, I, and I think we saw the, the fruit of that labor at this particular general convention. So um, a few things that I thought were really exciting. Uh, there was a huge uh, resolution passed that basically thanked so many people within EMM by name. So it, it named the monumental efforts that uh, that EMM accomplished this year in um, 
carrying out Operation Allies Welcome and welcoming so many Afghans in such a short amount of time. Uh, and the program side of EMM just did phenomenal, phenomenal work this year. And so it was really heartwarming to see that that was recognized and, and acknowledged um, at, at the general convention in this resolution. They also named the work of Neighbor to Neighbor um, to, they also named the work of our um, Asylum and Detention Ministry Network. And so I would say all of that is, is a huge win. Um, what was most exciting for me um, is that we uh, were instructed to begin working with LGBTQ asylum seekers. And so for me, the fact that the Episcopal Church at its highest level at General Convention understands the nuance of mig migration policy and all the complexities and that they said, hey, Episcopal Migration Ministries, we want you to specifically work with LGBTQ asylum seekers mm -hmm. um, on, on behalf of the church, right? We we recognize this is this is where the Episcopal Church can make a unique um, imprint on this work, and, and we are asking you to do that. I will say that the the resolution was not funded, meaning that it it did not carry with it any additional funding, and so we're going to have to work within our our uh, organization to sort of equip us, you know, equip ourselves to do this work, which we're happy to do. Um, but we're also looking to executive council as well as to general convention mm -hmm. to say, hey, EMM, we recognize that what you're doing is really important. We also recognize that you can't do it without support. And so, you know, I'm really hoping that at the 81st general convention, um, we see a significant bump in funding for the work of Episcopal Migration Ministries, as well as neighbor to neighbor, um, you know, if neighbor to neighbor is funded by general convention, we can do so much more work uh, welcoming LGBTQ asylum seekers, welcoming asylum seekers from all over the world who are uh, facing persecution. Um, you know, I'm also mindful of the ways in which climate change is mm -hmm. going to have a huge impact on on the number of people who are seeking, um, you know, seeking shelter, seeking asylum in the United States. Um, and so we're mindful of all of those pieces and are looking forward to ways to educate and invite everyday Episcopalians into this work um, and hopefully see more and more success in the 81st, and 82nd, and 83rd General Convention as we continue to, to build on the momentum that, that started at the 80th General Convention. So another big win, I would say also that maybe wasn't at the heart of General Convention, but still a win nonetheless was the beautiful promotional piece, um, educational and invitation video that you you got to be a part of as the EMM staff as well. So put together by our amazing folks at the Office of Communications. Can you tell us a bit about that experience and what you hope folks will gain from watching that piece? Absolutely. So it was a it was a wonderful effort um, that Amanda and the office communication put on um, in partnership with all of her colleagues there in the office, and really was an opportunity to share about the work of neighbor to neighbor. And then my understanding is it was broadcast to all the attendees uh, at general convention. And so, you know, I would say we're just super grateful for the office of communication. They've been so generous to us. They were helpful in creating our promotional video. Um, they helped with our promotional, or excuse me, with our let me start over. Uh, we're just super grateful for the Office of Communication. They helped with our promotional video. They helped with our training videos. Um, and then most recently, this this piece that that aired at General Convention. So, you know, it's one of the the really unique ways, I think, that, that the Episcopal Church, Episcopal Migration Ministries, right, being one of the nine refugee resettlement agencies, but housed within the office of the presiding bishop, um, we get 
to we're a beneficiary of, of many of the gifts and resources that the Episcopal Church offers. And so we're just super grateful to the Office of Communication for their continued uh, generosity. And, and Kendall Martin, our, our uh, senior manager for communications, is just a whiz at, uh, at making it all happen. So it was, a, it was just a wonderful team effort, and we're really grateful for all the help we got, we got to make it happen. Yes, absolutely. It was such a beautiful gift to watch and see it in production and and everything. Special shout out to the whole team that really made it happen. And I think it's a testament also to the importance of telling the stories of these folks. So in the video, as you probably heard through the audio um, earlier in the podcast, a few people tell their stories and they are really impactful. And so I'd love to hear from you, Reverend Chris McNabb, if you could share one of your favorite stories from over these past months, just working as a program officer and working in and around parishes who are doing this very important work. Absolutely. So probably the story that, that sticks with me the most, um, we worked with, with one of our Episcopal congregations uh, to welcome a family from Afghanistan. Um, and it was a pretty large family. And two of the two of the children in the family are deaf or hard of hearing. Um, and we know that right with the Taliban taking over Afghanistan after the US uh, forces left there, that their future was bleak. Um, and that their possibility for education and resources was was not was not looking good. Um, and because of the work of neighbor to neighbor, and the sponsor circle program for Afghans, because of a super hardworking congregation, um, they have really committed to making sure that these two these two kids have a future. Um, and so we're really lucky that the school district that where they landed um, has a really phenomenal program for children who are deaf or hard of hearing, um, and they are already uh, just far exceeding our expectations about what's possible. Um, and so just thinking what their life would have been like in Afghanistan versus what their life is like now here in the United States, it's it's incredible, right? This is the work of neighbor to neighbor is, is creating opportunities um, by connecting everyday Episcopalians, everyday people of goodwill and, 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 you know, who are committed to their faith and say, because of the teachings of Jesus, we are committed to the work of welcome. And we're gonna, we're gonna embody that work uh, every day, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. Um, and we're gonna harness those local resources. We're going to continue leaning on EMM for support when needed. Um, it, this is what's possible. A good story that I think sort of encapsulates the, the success of the Neighbor to Neighbor program. Um, we had four individuals arrive from Afghanistan who had their college education disrupted. Uh, they were able to arrive to a college town here in the United States. Um, and the congregation is actually not an Episcopal congregation that's working with them. Um, and they have just been super, super committed um, to doing the, this work of welcome and, and really creating possibilities that, that these four Afghans never would have had, um, you know, had they stayed in Afghanistan. And so it's always exciting to me when folks are able to we had some college professors in that group. We've had some, um, you know, folks who have a lot of experience in, in working around issues of immigration, and they've really harnessed all of their skills and resources um, to really empower these four individuals and, and give them a, a leg up and, and a future um, that was, was just beyond probably what they could have imagined a few years ago. 
Um, so we're super excited for that and, and all the, the sort of quiet success stories that, um, that continue to, to take place every day with this work. Absolutely. And I know there are many. I've heard the stories of so many um, congregations and community groups who are doing this work. In fact, recently I was speaking with the Reverend Ann Dursey and she said, really, do not be daunted by this work. Anyone can do it. Anyone can help. And any help that you can provide is better than absolutely none. Um, so I would, I would ask now, with all the support that congregations get and team leads and community groups in order to make it happen, what would you say in that sea of support is your favorite stage or phase throughout this program? Yeah, so for me, I, I think the most exciting piece is getting to talk with Episcopalians and, and people of all different denominations who say, I have questions. You know, I've heard about this work. Um, I kind of understand it, but can you explain this to me? And, and, you know, and really getting to unpack what is refugee resettlement? What is private resettlement? What is all the different things, right? What is community sponsorship and co-sponsorship? All these different uh, phrases that are thrown around, um, not to mention the acronyms that, that get thrown around all the time. And so really getting to talk with people and saying, you know, hey, Chris, like, listen, this is really on my heart. This is something I wanted to do can you help us unpack it? Can you help us understand? And sometimes that leads to people signing up and becoming neighbor to neighbor teams. Other times they say, you know what, Chris, we're, I think we'd actually prefer to work with this local refugee resettlement agency and do co-sponsorship. What do you think? And I'm like, that sounds great. You know, I'll ask a few clarifying questions and, and, you know, and make sure that they sort of fully understand it. And if that's what's best for them, great. You know, like to me, this isn't about, how many neighbor to neighbor teams can we get? This is about how many people can we help? And if working with a local uh, resettlement office is going to be the best way to help people, by all means, how can we, you know, I'm all about how can we train and equip them to do that work? Um, and so for me, the, the best part is really getting to talk to people of faith and helping them work through what, what does this mean for them, right? As an Episcopalian, as a Christian, how does this help them live out their faith in a more intentional way? And at the same time, right, getting to help uh, folks who are who are super vulnerable and, and are in need. Absolutely. It sounds like there's so many avenues um, in order to show support, give support. So for if someone's listening right now and they wanted to get involved in neighbor to neighbor, what would you what would you say to them? Absolutely. So do go to our website, um, check it out there on the website. You can fill out that initial interest form. Um, we're looking in the, in the fall, we're hoping to launch a webinar series discussing all the different uh, ways in which um, migratory policy and, and issues of migration are impacting us here in the United States uh, and ways that Episcopalians can sign up and, and get involved. So stay tuned for that webinar series, fill out that initial interest form. Um, and as, as always, um, you're welcome to contact me with any questions. Um, and of course, if, if perhaps your congregation doesn't, you don't feel equipped to, to do the work of welcome, please keep us in your prayers. That's probably the, the first and most important thing. Um, and then please also um, pray about the possibility of making a donation to the work of Neighbor to Neighbor. Thank you so much for mentioning that. The website you can go to is episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash neighbor to neighbor. So that was great. And um, honestly, I feel like this whole... This whole episode is kind of bringing it, bringing it back home and full circle where we started. And 
as you know, with the hometown podcast, we really like to ask folks what home means to them. And you did answer back in February. And I'm curious to see if your understanding has home of home has shifted or evolved in any way since we last spoke. Absolutely. I think what's been so interesting for me is when I began this work, um, just before I began, I, I moved to Seattle, Washington from New York. And I was in the mountains of Montana uh, when Allison Duvall, uh, the senior manager for church relations and engagement at EMM, called me and said, Chris, Kabul, Afghanistan just fell. And that began the chapter of us working with the Sponsor Circle Program for Afghans and really began expanding um, our work with neighbor to neighbor in a, in a way that was far beyond what we had ever conceived of when, you know, when, when it first was created. I think for me, what's been interesting is, is, you know, settling into Seattle and, and looking to, you know, to find home here um, while also doing the, the work of welcome has been super interesting. Um, and I think has allowed me to, to really have a, a certain compassion and empathy for folks um, who are also trying to make this country their home. And so I think for me, certainly there are ways in which where, where we grew up, the customs, the cultures, the food, the smells, the, um, the local stores that we, you know, sort of think of when we're, we're perhaps stuck, stuck at a red light and, and just imagining, um, you know, oh, I wonder how that store owner is doing, or I wonder, you know, how so-and-so is doing from my hometown. Um, but I also think home can be community that we find outside of our traditional sort of the, the place where we grew up. And I think for me, right, as we struggle in the Episcopal Church to figure out, like, who will the Episcopal Church be for the next 50 years, um, right? As fewer and fewer people attend church, as fewer and fewer people find interest in church, right? We know that folks aren't returning um, to congregations uh, after the COVID pandemic in the, in the numbers that we had hoped. And so I, th I think it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity for the Episcopal Church to say, we choose to be a people who connect in our love of God, our love of the person of Jesus Christ. And selfishly, right, within EMM, I believe if we can embody our faith and we can show up and say, we are committed to the work of welcome, to radical hospitality, to welcoming the stranger, uh, to caring for the widow and, and the orphan, I think that is facilitating community uh, that is creating a home. And, and I think for a lot of people who, who are without homes, whether they're homeless or refugees or migrants, um, if we can be that, if the Episcopal Church can be that home for people, um, I think that's where, that's where the growth is. That's where the possibility is. It's hard. It's messy. It takes money. It takes resources. Absolutely. Um, but to me, that's so much more interesting than helping old buildings uh, you know, not crumble as quickly. Um, to me, that's the kind of stuff that, that lives out far beyond, you know, when my time comes to, to meet my maker, right? <laughs> that's the stuff that's gonna, that's gonna last. Uh, and that's the stuff that I hope the Episcopal Church in time can continue committing itself to. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And we are the church. There's a we in there. Buildings crumbling or not, that's, that's our job. So I greatly appreciate that because we do speak with everybody. Everybody has said something different, you know, on this, on this podcast when we ask that question, but I do think 
everyone is able to answer the question and that, you know, everyone brings their own meaning to it. And that is what we all have in common. So if we are able to tap into the idea of home and think and see another human being and say, I will be a home for you, or I will help you find home. And I think we can really, that's one of the first steps of making this work even possible. So I'm wondering if we can also close in prayer as we celebrate and also cherish the journey of the neighbor to neighbor program. Let us remember that we are in the holy presence of our God. Loving God, source of all life, we give you thanks for all that the Neighbor to Neighbor program has accomplished. And we ask for your guidance and your support as we seek to continue the work of welcome, of building and creating and facilitating home for people who come to this country seeking protection, a new way of life, possibilities for them and for their families. We pray for people fleeing persecution, violence, poverty, oppression, and the ever-growing reality of climate change. We pray for our government leaders, that they might have hearts of compassion rather than hearts of stone. We pray for our church leadership, for the leadership of Episcopal Migration Ministries, May all of us keep you, O Christ, at the center of our lives. May all of us continue this work of welcome. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen. I really appreciate you and your time and your beautiful words and advocacy always for our, our wonderful teams who are out there doing all this work with the assistance of EMM. I know everyone is so closely connected and so many people have built wonderful, loving relationships and beloved community throughout this journey of neighbor to neighbor. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks again for the opportunity to, to lift up our neighbor to neighbor teams and all the good work that's happening. Um, yeah, just a delight to be with you as always. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for joining us for today's episode. For more resources and opportunities to get involved with Episcopal Migration Ministries, be sure to visit episcopalmigrationministries.org. You may also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. To stay up to date on all new episodes, Make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. This critical work in ministry would not be possible without listeners and supporters like you. To continue to support the Ministry of Welcome, you can make a gift to Episcopal Migration Ministries. With your help, we will continue to welcome and resettle refugees in communities across the country, offer support to asylum seekers, and create beloved community for all of our immigrant siblings. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Our theme song composer is Abraham Awenda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahamawenda.bandcamp.com. Until next time, peace be with you and with all those you consider home. <laughs>